Warning. The Kingdom Cast podcast contains spoilers about comic books, movies, and entertainment in general, as well as anything else that crosses their minds. Please do not take any medical advice seriously, nor legal advice that they may or may not give out. For that matter, it's probably for the best that you take nothing that they say seriously. Welcome to Kingdom Casts, the podcast that discusses in-depth things that do not necessarily require in-depth discussions. This is Kingdom Casts Podcast, comics and movies, news and reviews for the week of July 29th, 2020. Apologies for being a little later than normal. We had the Hoover Sci-Fi Fantasy Fest library event, and that took up from Thursday all the way straight through to Sunday. You should check it out. They've put up all their YouTube videos. Go to their site, click on them. They've got some wonderful, wonderful panels. They did a wonderful job, had some wonderful guests. Joining us again this week is Sandra. I talked to Fish Swindle. (sighs) (laughs) I'm Stan Daniel, and with me as always is Albert Marsh. So, Albert. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? Okay. We don't have time for your Kanye West bullshit tonight. We're recording a day late because of your damn Kanye for president rant. So I don't kept doing it over and over and over yesterday. (laughs) So I don't want to hear about yay, nor any of his little Kardashians. Are we clear? If you would have moved past it every time we started, we would have probably had the whole thing recorded. (laughs) Well, in retrospect, now that everything's working fine, I think that was just God's way of saying, stop talking about the Kardashians. You're doing it again. Okay, all right. Moving right along. It's kind of been a little bit of an eventful weekend. We've had fallouts from scandals, and we've had scandals. Let's talk about the Warren Ellis backlash. And again, we're not going to get into the details. There's a side-up of his victims. But it seems that a few companies have canceled some Warren Ellis projects, including DC canceling a Batman project that was upcoming. Not What's the current one going on that he's writing with Brian Hitch? Batman's grave. Yeah, that's going on. That's continuing. Yeah, that, they're going to finish that up, it looks like. There was some Batman something coming down the pike. Was it the Death Metal tie-in? They said they canceled that, but there's a Death Metal one-shot next week with a bunch of stuff in it. I don't know if it's still part of that at this point or not. Okay, Ellis's name and Ennis. Uh, Ennis has nothing to... There's been no controversy about Ennis. I'm just saying that these are the two big names I saw. Ellis and Ennis have stories in that one shot, and I don't know how they would have taken it out that quickly. It comes out next Tuesday, so I'm willing to bet that Ellis's story still hits in that, because that's scheduled to be on shelves on Tuesday, August the 4th, next week. Yeah. They said they're not out to cancel him, they're just out to make people aware of how they were cultivated into this. I'm willing to bet that inside about six months or so that people are hiring Ellis back again. I don't think Warren Ellis has, does a lot of comic work anyway. His work always hits sporadically. Like they were letting him do the Wildstorm line for a while, but in reality, right. like he won't really do anything for a while. Then he'll have multiple things hit close, and then he'll go away for a, a while, oh, six really? months or something. Okay. Yeah. Everything that he does at Marvel, I guess every, at DC, it, whatever he does at this point in time, it's not quote unquote ongoing book. It's usually, even if it is on an ongoing book, it's a limited run. He knows that he's only going to be there for like six issues. I think the longest thing he did for Marvel was either Next Wave or Thunderbolts. What about Moon Knight? Was, it, was he on Moon Knight longer than an arc? Um, I think it was just an arc. 
supposed to not report. Yeah, yeah. And we all got long. real excited, and then I got less excited because I learned he wasn't going to be. Yeah, so he is not the showrunner or main writer for Castlevania, and that's got to pay tons better. I would imagine that pays more than any comic book he's ever wrote. It probably not, pays more than all the comic books he's ever, ever wrote. Not, not counting things like royalties and stuff like that, just as far as what Marvel or DC paid him mm-hmm. per issue. I'd imagine it's beyond anything he'd ever make on that. That, and he gets into the Writers Guild yeah. for writing a TV series. There's all sorts of benefits there. Yeah, It's a big deal to have your Guild card in Hollywood. That's just Warren Ellis's backlash from a previous scandal. Now we move on to fresh new scandals. A little something with Darth Maul, Ray Park, who plays Darth Maul. Apparently a picture went up on Instagram and was not supposed to go up on Instagram. And as it stands right now, the last word in it was from Ray Park's wife that they were hacked. People are being malicious behind this and they've dragged her kids into it. And at no time has her or any of the kids posted anything bad about Ray Park. Yeah, there was some nudes, a sex act that was uh, put up on a, was it Instagram, Albert? Uh, Yeah. Instagram and apparently left up there for an hour before they managed to take it down. So there's that going on at the moment. But what makes us really conspicuous is that happened within hours. I mean, hours of Lucasfilm leaking that they had big plans for Maul, possibly a series, Darth Maul showing up in TV shows and everything. Like live action or um, oh yeah, live action. animated. Oh. Live action, yeah. You're about to hear the official announcement for Lando, so you're yeah. going to get your yeah eight uh, episodes of Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian, which I am more than excited for. And of course, you'll see Han and Chewbacca in that somewhere dealing with the underworld. It only makes sense that he'd come across Maul's organization that was set up in Solo. Hmm. Okay. I know there's a big fan contingent out there that would rather the voice actor play Darth Maul than Mm -hmm. Ray Park. Yeah, this was all happening as we were doing the sci-fi fantasy event for the Hooper Library, the streaming Mm -hmm. panels. While myself, Michael Nip, Joe Crow, and Rhett Barnett did not speculate about it in front of an audience. We were talking about it offline. And Michael was like, oh, this this kills the mall thing. But basically, we came to the conclusion that it doesn't necessarily kill the mall thing because you can put another actor in the mall outfit and the general populace is not going to know the difference. It might hurt Ray Park. And if Ray Park can prove that there was intent to hurt him, then he can come out of this okay. Yeah. If Ray Park can prove that it was malicious and done to malign his situation with Lucasfilm, he should come out of it okay. If not, I can't see this hurting Maul. It's a situation where the character is bigger than any one actor, wouldn't you think? Yeah. 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 I mean, you can put a lot of people in the Maul makeup and him pass and go forward. I wouldn't necessarily want that. I want good things for Ray Park. I've, I've met him once. He's a real nice guy. Uh, the thing I recall most about him is him walking barefoot on black pavement in 100 degree weather. And <laughs> Howie. <laughs> he tough little guy. <laughs> well, did we want to talk about Jeff Loeb's situation, Marvel, while we're on the subject of just nastiness? Sure. Yeah, I guess we can go over it right quick. First, it was a uh, writer, was it not, that came forward, a writer on Daredevil at Netflix which has been off the air for two years. They have not done any production or anything along those lines on it. Peter Shinkoda. No, he's an actor. No, no, he's an actor. I forget the writer's name, but the writer came forward and accused Jeff Loeb of coming into the writer's room and telling them to stop writing character development for Asian characters because 
here's a direct quote. Stop writing any character development for Asian characters because nobody cares about Chinese people. This actor is, of course, Japanese, and the character is Japanese, and... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I started to say. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this makes it really... This is really bad. First well, off, it seems he like those... to me that the Chinese government, that all these studios pander to, probably they care about Chinese people, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah, but we've we've got a new level of problems here. <laughs> Apparently, Jeff Loeb wasn't even aware <laughs> that the hand is Japanese. <laughs> I was thinking that earlier, and I was thinking, well, maybe the actors are Chinese. Well, one of the know. actors, I think, is Chinese, but the guy that was talking was Jap. Uh, of he's actually he's an American, so he's of Japanese descent. So <laughs> it's hardly headline news that Jeff Loeb is a jackass. Yeah. Is it? I, I had no idea. I, I, I so it was, no, it was nobody, kind of shocking nobody. to me. But apparently, you're right because I think you were saying that writer he was talking about that one of the writers that posted was an old Marvel writer slash editor. He was yeah. talking about him when he was at retreats. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. No, nobody likes working with Jeff. Really? Okay. Yeah, no, he's. It's just that Jeff is a good idea man and has a fair idea of story structure and can work across multiple mediums, as he's proven before. But right now, I don't even think Jeff is a factor anymore, given that Feige is in charge of it all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Feige's I mean, definitely cut him off at the knees, even from the beginning, because of what he did with Agents of Shield. I mean, oh, yeah. he practically just completely divorced that show from the MCU. Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, Jeff Lowe apparently has a very short attention span, not able to tell the difference between Japanese and Chinese. Well, well, and you know, the kicker to me was the fact that, according to this actor, no one, and I don't know if this is Jeff Lowe's thing or, or what, but apparently nobody invited him or the other Asian actor to the premiere show. Okay, no, Daredevil. And I was like, really? <laughs> Albert and I was talking about this earlier because it's Shinkoda, Peter Shinkoda. Right. was the one that said this. He and watching Ho, who played, who'd she play? Um, I, forget, I forget her character's name. I don't remember because I actually, because I didn't, I, I think I watched one episode of. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember. I remember the character, but I can't play, put a name on it. Well, okay. Basically, Peter Shinkoda was in nine episodes of Daredevil. He was in five episodes in season one. Uh-huh. And he was in four episodes of season two. His part was drastically relegated in season two. He didn't have as many episodes as most of the other characters in it. Wai Ching Ho was in six episodes of Daredevil, five of them in season one to establish her character, and one episode only in season two. I can look at that, and given the numbers and the amount of episodes that the people that actually showed up for it, and it wasn't the entire cast. It was mostly the main cast and Rosario Dawson, who, to be fair, Rosario Dawson had only been in eight episodes of Daredevil, but at that time had appeared in every Marvel Netflix show. So she was kind also, of... Also, she's Rosario Dawson. That's true. <laughs> she linked everything together. That, you can easily excuse why she was there, but the rest of them were there. I can't see Jeff Loeb saying, don't invite these people and come in with a list of names yeah. and anybody take him seriously. I just can't see that happening. I don't think that was on purpose. I think what they did was they just went by the number of episodes and how relevant you were. Now, later... 
later on, after that year, watching Ho was throughout Iron Fist and the Defenders. And Iron Fist had some sort of premiere, and she was there. We're talking about premieres for a Netflix TV series. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about movie premieres. We're talking about a publicity stunt. If it's a movie premiere, yeah, which in and of itself is a publicity stunt, but it's one that you can afford to bring more people into, and the more people you got there, the better. But in the premiere of Daredevil Season 2, they have to rent out a theater, they have to do this, and, and they have to make accommodations for their main actors to be there and largely just get Entertainment Tonight and E-Network out on that carpet to talk to them as they're going in. You want to go as cheap as possible when you're having a physical premiere for a television show. So I don't necessarily think that in and of itself was discrimination unless we can come up with evidence that Jeff Loeb walked in and said, you know those Chinese people? <laughs> gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And the producers say, the what? What, what are Taiwanese? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's it. Oh, he's calling the Japanese Chinese. So how, yeah. how would, why would we suspect that he even knew what the hell was going on otherwise? You can easily find anecdotes from everybody everywhere that Jeff Loeb is a uh, jackass. And he kind of gets darker after a uh, certain tragedy in his life. It's not exactly headline news to me that Jeff Loeb is a jackass and discriminates against people. Okay. <laughs> I understand where Peter Shinkoda is coming from. And yeah, I'd be, you know, I say I'd be upset. It's Jeff Loeb. <laughs> yeah. It just seems to me that you just have like maybe a general thing to invite the cast and crew to the opening. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe okay. like a just a, or just a, like a small viewing that everyone can sort of watch it together. So. Yeah, and then that one writer that talked about how petty he was, and I'm thinking, well, that's pretty petty. I mean, oh, he is. Yeah. But also, let me, let me share a couple of things with you. We've got a couple of sources that uh, one is currently strongly embedded in Hollywood, and one has major connections, and they chime in from time to time. And I was talking to one of them, and, and not about this situation, but about a week ago. It's in a lot of their contracts for movies, not just TV series, but mm -hmm. movies. It's standard practice for it to be in a lot of the actors' contracts that they have to show up at certain premieres, at red carpet premieres and such. Mm -hmm. A good number of the actors don't stay for the movie. They sneak out. Oh. Sneak away. And, and for, very, for varying reasons. The number one reason is that there's a lot of actors that never want to watch themselves on the screen. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, John Lithgow is not one of those actors. <laughs> John Lithgow is all about watching himself. Yeah, and so they just do the fanfare, they do the press interviews, they go into the theater, and then they go out the back or side door where their car is waiting on them, and they get away from there. If they didn't have it in the contracts, there's a lot of them that wouldn't even show up to this. Now, on the opposite end of it, especially if you're an up-and-comer, hell yeah, they want to show up for everything everywhere. Right, sure. Yeah, the more they're out there, the better. But looking at the Daredevil cast, you've got a cast of people. Charlie Cox and Deborah Ann Wall are in 39 episodes, all 39 episodes, all three seasons of Daredevil. Eldon Henson, Foggy Nelson, is in 38 of the 39. And then Vincent D'Onofrio, and D'Onofrio is one that would prefer not to watch himself on screen. Mm -hmm. D'Onofrio is in 27 episodes. 
Then it goes down to Royce Johnson and Jeffrey Cantor. And there's a significant drop off to Jay Alley, which has 13 episodes. And The Punisher, John Bernthal, 12 episodes, all of which was in season two. Is it Berenthal? Would they pronounce yeah, that? Yeah, Berenthal. I'm sorry, Berenthal. I, I was calling him Berenthal, but yeah, Berenthal. Close uh, enough. Then you go on down the list, and I'm almost certain what they did is they capped it off right around Berenthal. That gets expensive, especially for a TV show. A premiere of a TV show that's not actually bringing in any money at the premiere, but is being used and orchestrated as yeah, a publicity stunt. At least the premiere of a major movie, that movie is actually bringing in money as they're running it. May not bring in any money afterward, but Mm -hmm. I agree about the Loeb thing. He more, yeah, it's real easy to believe that. Of course, something that we've all forgotten is innocent until proven guilty. But uh, I, I don't think that the overlooking those two actors, especially given that she was at the Defenders uh, press junket, Mm-hmm. given that she was in, I think, almost every episode of Defenders. I, I don't think the overlooking of those actors at Daredevil Season 2 was anything more than what Marvel apologized for, which was an oversight. Hmm. I don't think the showrunners are in charge of the invitation list, but lots of times whoever's in charge of the invitation list doesn't seem to be aware of the people they quote-unquote ought to invite because how many times have they left off the creators? Even if they're in the show, they do a cameo or something. I'm trying to think. I think Jim Starlin was miffed. Um, yeah, Jim Starlin was okay with it. They they wrote him a no. nice check. Well, <laughs> yeah, Jim no, Starlin no, was he here. was... No, he was not happy that he got he got he didn't get invited. No, but, they fixed him up well. Yeah, they, ever since they've they've had Thanos, you know, when they first showed him at the end of that Avengers movie, mm-hmm. he keeps having these on and off deals with Marvel Comics. They'll sign him to do something, then they'll cancel it or they'll change it up, and he'll have a falling out for a year and then come back. And it always sort of amounts to him going, "My problems with Marvel Comics." Marvel Studios and Disney, they treat me great. Marvel Comics is a whole nother thing. He lets it be known that he's treated well on the movie side of things. and Mm -hmm. Whatever issues he has is with comics and not movies. Yeah. And besides that, he does something for Marvel. They get mad at each other and don't talk for six months. And then he does something else for Marvel. Is that not the man's entire professional career with Marvel? Probably. And that's how it goes with most of them. None of the creators are happy with DC. None of the creators are happy with Marvel. The only time you hear of good working relationships come out of Image because Image's policy is we don't care. Yeah. And they're pretty much like, you know, they sign you to a contract, but it's most part, it's up to you to. Yeah. If you're a writer and it's your book, it's up to you to get an artist and to pay him and everything. I mean, I assume if, if you had a very good story and you was a writer and you had problems getting someone, I would imagine there's probably someone that image you can talk to that's like, hey, do you got anybody you recommend? They're like, yeah, here's this guy over there. But beyond that, it's it's all hands off. There's exceptions yeah. to that. Like Brubaker, he may still be under contract at some point. Brubaker signed an exclusive contract with Image. Yeah. Yeah, well, some of them have signed. If I I remember right, he signed some type of contract to them. Even the exclusivity contracts are different uh, than they would be at, say, Marvel and DC. um, There's an interview with Kirkman a few weeks back, Robert Kirkman, creator of The Walking Dead, Outcast, and several other comics that go directly to Netflix. Robert Kirkman was recalling a situation where he was not even allowed at Marvel when he was writing the books, to do interviews 
on the regular comic sites and all to promote his Marvel book because, no, Marvel's not sanctioning it, but also at the same time, Marvel's not putting any money toward it because it's a lower tier book. The bigger companies just have that kind of a policy. It's weird. It makes no sense, but it is what it is. Starlin gets mad at Marvel and six months later goes back and writes a new Thanos story. Yeah. Well, a little more happier and upbeat news or uh, just, uh, well, on a different kind of news trek. <laughs> you realize you're about to get six months of Star Trek starting in August, right? Maybe some of it will be good. Well, did you what, see... What is starting in August? Star Trek Lower Decks. The animated, yeah. From the showrunner for Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. Not Dan Harmon or... The other weird guy, but the showrunner for Rick and Morty. I don't know. What'd you think about the preview, Albert? I thought it was... I chuckled. Eh, I don't care. <laughs> I don't want Star Trek to be funny. L look, it's gotta be... Unless, unless it's Mark Adams' animal doodles he did for those Star Trek things. I, <laughs> I would watch those, because those were, those were really good. Mark Adams, that man, I'll give him credit on that. I would watch something with those. Beyond that, I don't really want funny Star Trek. Then it's just Galaxy Quest. And it ain't going to be as good as Galaxy Quest. Nothing is as good as Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest was pretty awesome. They've had Lower Decks battering around as a concept or an idea for God knows how many, for almost a decade. Almost a decade. And I think what lit a fire under their butts was the Orville. Yeah. Where Seth MacFarlane came forward and he said, <laughs> you should have given me the damn Star Trek show. I could put 20th century pop culture references all through Star Trek and make it that, not funny. That's a, I don't know. I think the Orville is pretty good. I enjoy the Orville. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give Lower Decks a try. As Lower Decks come to an end, Discovery Season 3 starts up. And I like Discovery. Yeah, I'm I've looking forward to that. I am too. Not looking forward to Picard Season 2, but I, I like Discovery. Well, when are we getting Pike? That's in the works right now. What they're doing is they're getting the sets and the models ready. They're in pre-production on that. Yeah, I'd give Pike a shot. Oh, yeah. Pike? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. uh, New Frontiers. Yeah, they going to call it Pike, ain't they? No. no. It's New Frontiers. Oh. <laughs> Pike. <laughs> they call Picard Picard. Yeah, but Picard is a little bit well more well-known than Pike. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Picard no, can't even walk. Yeah, I felt bad about that. He he looked tired all the time. But New Frontiers is supposed to start up. They're in pre-production on it. The announcement was made by the actors over Skype and Zoom. That's all we've got is the three main actors. Rebecca Romaine Stamos has number one. Is she right. still Stamos? Do we still call her that or is it just Rebecca Romaine? Rebecca Romaine sounds like a, a new salad dressing. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would prefer to put that Stamos on the end of it. I know her and Stamos are broken up. When she showed up as number one, I thought, well, now we're casting. <laughs> 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 you go back and you look at number one from the Menagerie episodes. That was Majel Barrett. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ethan Peck, his Spock. All I want is more Tig Notoro back on Discovery. That was a good character. I like well, her a lot. I like well, all the discoveries. It's Rebecca Romain, so she's going to stick with the salad. I just want that Quentin Tarantino Star Trek number one. You're not going to get that. Oh that my gosh! Good. No, if thank that you. ever happens, I hope it's the driest movie ever made. It's it's DOA. <laughs> That's what I want out of Star Trek. It's just dry. Oh, and it's also Anson Mount. Before I forget, Anson Mount 
has Captain Christopher. Dear God, who names their kid? Anson Ma They must have known, but they are lucky he turned into a man's man there because that is a name only a He-Man can Anson Mount. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's maybe. not his real name. I, no, well, think about it. Think about it. But Sheriff Anson Mount. Commander Anson Mount. Where's he or his family from? You could be racist right now without knowing it. It's Captain Christopher <laughs> Pike. Well, where's he from? Where's his parents from? Well, in the he's, an he's an American actor. Or is, is his parents American? Dear God, his... Oh my gosh! His name is Anson Adams Mounts the Fourth. <laughs> oh, yeah, and if you look at his IMDP picture, oh my God, there's never been a more... He makes, Jesus, he makes Schwarzenegger in his prime look like a little girly boy. Anson Mount, a, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's... Look at that jawline, sweet God. I'm not gay, but... <laughs> he was... Lord, now you got me distracted. <laughs> and it's Star Trek Strange New Worlds. I was calling it Final Frontier, but it's next Strange New Worlds. Okay, he was miscast as Black Bolt, Anson Mount, the fourth. Did he play Black Bolt? Yeah, he played Black Bolt in that horrible Inhuman series. Well, we'll forgive him for this, but damn... You know, I get stuck with a name like Stan. You know, other people get names like Anson Mount. The fourth. Well, I was going to say, well, maybe that's a made-up name, but apparently, no, that he's the fourth of that name. Who <laughs> would make up that name? I need to stop making fun of people's names, which I need to. No, that's, that's, that stuff ain't funny. Oh, I want to be him. <laughs> Dear God. So... Oh my God! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Now, okay, so his father is Anson Adams Mount the second, and he has an older brother. Maybe he passed away, named Anson Adam Mounts the third. So it's not his father that's the third; it's his brother that's the third. If you trace his ancestry back far enough, I'm sure you will find he, you know, the whole line just comes from testosterone. <laughs> Like his great grandfather is not listed. It just says testosterone. His mother was a professional golfer. Instead of unknown, it says testosterone. I'm serious. Are you looking at these damn pictures of this man? I mean, I liked him when I was watching him in Holy Discovery, God. but I Are just you? never. Have you see, not seen him? Forget about the Black Bolt and humans thing. That was like a major mistake. <laughs> done um, and done. Yeah. He was, the first time I, I saw this actor was in a show called Hell on Wheels. Did you see that? Oh, I saw parts of it. I didn't see the entire. Oh, you know, my I've, gosh. I've, I've seen Mills on Wheels. I ain't seen Mills. <laughs> you, you saw Hell on Wheels. It's got. Um, no, I didn't. Uh, it's got Transporter <laughs> Chief O'Brien in it. Yep. As the yep. Bad guy. And it has Common. That was a manly man show for sure. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> but he looks completely different in that. Well, now I understand why they cast Rebecca Romain. You needed you need the woman of women's to stand counter to somebody that's descended from pure testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> the woman of women's. <laughs> All right, that's our Star Trek episode. Uh, <laughs> Albert, I hear they're making Judge, they're talking about Judge Dredd TV series also? Sure. <laughs> anyway, we can get Anston for that? I was about to say! Yeah. Judge Dredd is far 
lawnmower is testosterone than Pike. <laughs> Judge Dredd is a fascist. <laughs> you know, one of the most underrated movies to come out in the last 10 years was Carl Urban, his Dredd. It was just a ripoff of that movie, The Raid. But it was with Judge Dredd and it worked real well. <laughs> it was a really good movie. I mean, it really, really was. Okay, I, I may get some flack for this, but I thought that show, wasn't it the Riddick ripoff of uh, Warhammer that he played in, what is it called, a necromancer, not a necromancer, Carl Urban was, was in Warhammer too. show? No, I, no, the next to the last Riddick movie. Chronicles oh, of Riddick? I think that was it. And then they said that was like a Warhammer ripoff, the one with Carl Urban in. I think he's underrated. I mean, I've really enjoyed all of his... He's a good uh, actor. You know, yeah, I, mean, I love Carl Urban. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, he's no Anson Mount, but <laughs> I mean Carl Urban. Yeah, the name's masculine enough, but there's a story that Nimoy watched him in the Abrams Star Trek in 2009. Was watching him perform scenes. Nimoy had tears. Nimoy said it was like watching DeForest Kelly. Yeah, well, no, it's not. That's what Leonard Nimoy said before he died, Albert. Well, he was probably senile, and that was mine. Oh, oh, no! no. Carl Urban's like three foot taller than the Forrest Kelly. He's got probably 100 pounds on the man. And he's ten times more handsome. He's not a bad looking man. No, <laughs> he's not. <laughs> That's it. This is where we are in society. I'm forbidden to comment on Rebecca Romaine's ass, but by God, Albert and I are going to stand here and point out every hot man there is. I mean, I'm not, I'm not attracted to him or nothing. He's an attractive man. Simple way from the movie. Well, I, I, I think that's going to be it for us tonight. And, uh, no, we do. We do have one more thing. This is something. <laughs> hey, no, wait a minute. Fair is fair. Albert and I can't comment on Re Rebecca Romaine, but we've commented on the guys. Sandra, tell the people about Rebecca Romaine's ass. She was miscast. Number one was was supposed to be the quote unquote spot character. She was supposed to be somewhat more robotic and not hot. Gene's <laughs> dead and we're going off script. Okay. <laughs> okay. We do have a little bit of news that we had talked about before. Jeff Shell, NBC Universal CEO Jeff Shell, who took over for Jack Donaghy, has been quoted saying now that NBC Peacock has launched the streaming service, and I, and I got to tell you, there's not much to it, but download it anyway because the majority of it is free. He has created a structure with streaming head Mark Lazarus. Well, they're finalizing a new structure for the NBC Universal streaming group that will take resources away from linear, that's your standard NBC channel. They're going to take resources away from the station and put them all towards streaming. So this is step one. You're coming a step closer to TV as it's existed in American history with ABC, CBS, and NBC. You're, you're watching the beginning of the end here because he's taking this opportunity. That's the guy that ticked off Regal and AMC, isn't yes. it? Yes. 
Yes, yes. yes. Okay. NBC Universal CEO mm-hmm. Jeff Shell. He's looking at a mandate now, and he's now officially taking resources away from the NBC broadcast network and putting them toward the streaming service. He's making a major shift here. I don't think the others have much of a choice but to follow. He's doing it under the precipice that uh, the pandemic. We're in a difficult time. The landscape has changed. It's a crisis. He says, it is said that crisis tends to accelerate and exacerbate trends. And that is certainly true in the television business. And so that's his excuse. That's where he's going. Pretty soon you're going to have to be teaching your parents and grandparents how to work the Roku because NBC is about to undergo major changes, and I would imagine that ABC will eventually fall under the Disney Plus logo or some shows going to Hulu. They updated Hulu this week. It's this like a three-hour thing with my dad on trying to get him to figure it out. Oh, yeah. God forbid they move a button. I'll get phone calls left and right from Shirley and Cecil. (laughs) Am I still mom and dad? Yes, you're still mom and dad on that service. (laughs) well i wanted to watch lady and the tramp but they're real they're not cartoons now just watch that one mom (laughs) that's the same thing when did luke skywalker become a girl (laughs) don't complain about the sequels mom i've spent all weekend arguing about that That's an interesting quote about crisis. We've talked about this several times about what is that going to mean for comics. I'm just not, I'm not, well, I'm not saying that it's like that radical for comics, but I am saying that if that's true and I can see where it can be, I'm just wondering what the advance is because it's clearly not digital. Well, you the know, digital didn't make any money on the... Right, uh, they were going right. to save the money on printing and they ended up having to print. Yeah, we're still trying to find our way in this. We're still in the wilderness on this. You notice that all of the comic book websites are just reporting on upcoming projects and everything like nothing's going on. And in the meantime, I'm hearing from stores that are barely making it through, have greatly reduced their orders. The charts show that it looks like, oh, comic sales are up now that they're back. There's no way those charts could be right, especially given that the only recorded releases are of Marvel only putting out comics once every two weeks in June into July. (laughs) We don't have any numbers for the first full run of uh, of the month. But we do have websites out there more than happy to inflate prices on eBay. I don't like that at all. And I'm a capitalist. And the, I don't the like The future it. of comics is crackerjack boxes. Cracker Could Jack. you elaborate, please? <laughs> See, I talked to my connection at Coca-Cola. <laughs> and they're gonna they're gonna put Coke in cans after that after they stick comics in crackerjack boxes. Cokes are still in cans, man. No, they're not. That's not for another two years. <laughs> It seems like if if that's true for comics, it seems, and we've complained about this, or I've complained about it, maybe you guys haven't, that comics are going to be more and more tied to the movies rather than vice versa. It's going to be what sells. The market is going to contract, but it's going to contract to the characters that are in the movies. You know what's selling at the moment? Hickman's X-Men. That's selling, so we're safe there. Cigarettes. And, well, yeah. Cigarettes. Hey, have you alcohol? Noticed that? There is a, well, what if what if like uh, if they did made a deal with like Marlboro or something where like if you bought a pack of cigarettes, you get a comic book. <laughs> 
let's uh, let's move on to the comic book reviews for the week. And Mr. <laughs> Casada, if you'd like to talk to Albert about that last comment, he's got his own personal <laughs> Facebook. I can't control him. It's easy money. You're just leaving money on the table. And we're going to start this week with Image Comics. Dead Body Road, Bad Blood. Number two came out this week. I went back and reread number one. Writer Justin Jordan and art by Ben Tisma and Matt Lowe. Albert, did you read Dead Body Road? Yes, I did. It's a well-produced comic, but it's nothing I ain't ever read before. Oh, well, you see, I had written down another crime-based comic that's trying to serve as the animatic for a possible streaming series. And then the next line is... Nothing you haven't seen before. <laughs> I mean, this person runs a bar, their brother gets in trouble, then they come after the person that runs the bar, then then, then she goes after them, so whatever. I, yeah, it's, it, it's no roadhouse. Yeah, it felt, it, it didn't even feel, it's not horrible. It's no, just it's, nothing it's, we've it's, not it's, seen it's, before. It's kind of cookie cutter. Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's well written. Art's not bad, you know, yeah. it's just, but it's, that doesn't really stand out. You can hang out in Walker County bars and see this happen live like once every other week. Isn't that why they closed the Fuzzy Mule off I-20? Well, I don't know. I never went there. <laughs> That's too classy for me. Fuzzy Mule. No, I'm serious. There was a place called Fuzzy Mule off I-20. Well, you see, it didn't even have the originality of the 12-gauge stuff. I mean, 12-gauge is all about these crime comics, and, and this even looks like a 12-gauge comic format. It just, at least there's something interesting or some sort of twist they've got going on in there to keep you coming back in 12-gauge. I didn't feel that this one had anything like that. Did you? No, there's nothing really there for it. Yeah. So. What was your score on it? I gave... Uh, writing an art of three, I gave, and I, I guess I gave the dynamic a three too. I could give dynamic a four, but now I give it a three. I went a little lower than that. I just gave it twos across the board. I mean, uh, it, I it, wouldn't say twos because if, if I give something two, it's got to be bad. It's not a bad comic. It's just sort of, yeah, it's average. Like I said, it's not horrible, but that to me doesn't mean it's not bad. It, it's yeah. just not anything. I don't want you wasting your money on this one. There's better things out there. Also from Image Comics this week, Lost Soldiers number one, writer Els Cott, art by Luca Casalaguida. Right off the bat, there's a reference to Superman as Jewish space hippie Jesus that one of the characters make. That automatically tells me you have no idea of the mythology you speak of and that you have no business writing comics that attempt to use Superman as a metaphor in them or just comic books in general. This felt like the writer wanted to be Jason Aaron. He's not Jason Aaron. He's alone. What was the plot of this comic? They're in Vietnam and there's oh, flash right, forwards right, to right, yeah. yeah. There's flash forwards to them putting a crew together for something. I get really really put out. I almost walked out of a church one time. Because there, and it, it was a Protestant church. It was one of these mega churches. We were there because a friend of my mom's was testifying and so on and so forth. And they asked her to be there and she made me go. I wasn't a kid. I was a grown ass adult. And she still made me go. Huh? Mama says go to church. You usually got to go to church whether you want to or not. So. Well, Mama says a lot of things, but she promised <laughs> me IHOP afterward. <laughs> anyway, so we're in this church. When I'm in situations like that, I turn off everything I know about religion, theology, uh, and especially the Bible, and just kind of get through it and very happy, very pleased to be here. But I almost blew my lid because I have a thing about youth pastors. I don't like them. 
but anyway, the youth pastor comes in and him and his whole little troop of tweens and teens are wearing bright blue Superman shirts with the Superman emblem on it, except instead of the S, there's a cross in it. I almost stood up and walked out. Not only do you not understand Jesus Christ, you don't understand Superman. I'm, I was having a real hard time with, which I was having a, a harder problem with, and it comes down to this. Superman is not Jesus. Superman is Moses. That's the analogy. Superman <laughs> is not here to die for our sins. Superman <laughs> is here to lead humanity to a better place. Now, let's get back to this comic book about Vietnam. My brother-in-law, uh, <laughs> pastor, that's how he met my sister. He's a preacher now, so I don't know. No, he's a preacher now. He got promoted, and we're going to pretend that he was never a youth pastor for the purposes of this podcast. Okay. All I'm going to say about this, I didn't read it, but as soon as I saw Al's Cott's name Al's Cott. It, remember the book I read by Al's Cott was the Bucky Barnes Winter Soldier book. Oh, my God. read that? Holy moly. I was. I forgot about that. What was the plot of that one? Well, I wish I could tell you. Was I mean, that the one where he was in deep space and he took over for Nick Fury, or was that something different? Wasn't it after that? Yeah, I think it was. It was after that. It was trippy. The art was fantastic. It was by Marco Rudy. It was all painted, watercolor. I love Marco Rudy's art. There is no panel-to-panel storytelling. It's like fully painted pages that are just gorgeous to look at, but the storytelling is is difficult. Yeah, he went off to space, and this came out right after the movie or something, and it was complete waste. I mean, if you if you saw the movie and then you, you try to read the comic, it was... Not a jump on point. It was just like somebody on drugs had written this, this yeah, mess. I, I did seriously give the entire issue a read. I didn't let the Jewish space hippie Jesus quote put me too far off of it, but I still didn't care for it. I gave the writing a one. The art was a two for me. The dynamic was a one. My score on this was 1.3. Albert? I gave the writing like a two. The old guy about to retire thing, going on one last thing, sort of played out. So I just assume he's going to probably die. But I ain't going to stick around to find out. So writing a two, the art of two, a dynamic of one. I, no, I'll give dynamic a two. Just say I gave it straight twos. Straight twos. Okay. Yeah. I don't think this is worth your money. I think your money would be better spent with Image Comics on that Texas Blood number two. Writer Chris Condon and art by Jacob Phillips. I thought it was continuing a solid build. Very promising story. Feels like it could be movie award material just by the first two issues. I what highly, was, highly recommend it. What this. was the plot of this one? <laughs> Texas Blood. It's the 70-year-old Texas sheriff out in the middle of nowhere. His uh, wife is overly concerned with the casserole dish. Yeah, yeah. And, and issue two yeah. involves the brother going to, into town and claiming the body and everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was really good. I really did like that. That was a good yeah. read. This is what the previous two books want to be. Chris Condon has nailed it with that Texas Blood. Both issues number one and two, I gave a five across the board. I'm enjoying the hell out of this. Wow. I wouldn't give it a five. I wouldn't either. I uh, did simply I'd... because of the end thing with the brother, the brother's writing at the end. Yeah, I'll give like the writing four, the art of three, and dynamic four. Okay. Did you, you read it, Sandra? Yes, I did. I read both of them. Oh, did you? What did you yeah. think of? I don't want to even say that it's noir because it, it has like a more of a Fargo kind of thing going than a your typical noir thing. Yeah. Yeah, there was a lot. Th- this one had a lot of twists and things in it. I liked it. It's not my typical thing, but I liked it. I think the art was appropriate for the book. It held my interest. 
there's some questions in there. I mean, when I say it's like Fargo, it's not like hilariously funny, but like the casserole dish, that was kind of, there's always yeah. like these elements out there that are just kind yeah. of like, what the heck? I would probably give it more like fours than That's fair five. enough. I just, yeah. when a story like this really hits me and grips me in comic mm-hmm. book format, mm-hmm. To me, that says a lot because you've got to work overtime to pull me into this. A lot of people keep comparing it to No Country for Old Men. Mm. And I I see the comparisons. They're both in Texas, and there's an old man. But beyond that, this is its own thing. You said it was more Fargo, at least a little bit. Yeah, I'd say it's more that because No Country for Old Men is fairly fairly straight-faced the whole way through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much. And now for IDW Comics. Home of Rob McFarlane's sold-out G.I. Joe Snake Eyes number one. Me, Rob Liefeld. Rob Liefeld. Oh, my God. That's what you get get for making fun of people's names. I was not making fun of that man's name. I was just saying how masculine it was. Before we jump into their comics, dear God, what's going on over there? Their publisher, five days. And then, boom, he's gone. They put him in the position and didn't realize that nobody liked him anywhere. And Diamond would refuse to work with yeah, him. Yeah, like, apparently <laughs> no one wanted anything to do with this man and wouldn't do anything with him. And that sort of... But do we know why? Oh, yeah, we know why. Yeah, they said it. He was actually involved in lawsuits. It's complicated, but he worked for a comic book store, and then he left that comic book store and started his own comic book store. But then he took their customer list, and he took some other things, maybe some other stock. I don't know, but there was some issue there. So that got sued, and then eventually that comic book store that he opened, I think went quote-unquote bankrupt it was just like this guy was very unscrupulous about his business dealings let's put it that way Um, why idw would have anything to do with him to start with i have no idea but it's idw so whatever yeah because they didn't run a background how does any of this turn up on a background check they didn't call around well uh, uh, you know bleeding cool managed to get the court case papers so it wasn't hard to do there's a lot of people at Bleeding Cool just sitting around waiting for somebody to screw up so they can look up stuff. That's I mean, true. there's a difference there. That's true. You're not necessarily, and, and keep in mind, he was not hired for this position. He was working for him and moved up to this yeah. permission, position. So it was a matter of somebody was already there and everybody just assumed he had been vetted, I guess. But right now, President Jerry Bennington is at the helm until they can announce somebody else. So yeah. that was interesting. I didn't know that we had found out why. I just knew yeah, that. I did. Yeah, people just were not going to be working with him. Like, I think they had to go through two or three people at Diamond to find someone at Diamond to work for him yeah. and the, the work with him. And the person that was going to work with him really was, it was like, my job is not to work. Like, you know, I'm not a customer rep. This is not my job, but nobody else is going to work with him. So <laughs> Definitely a good reaction on IDW's part. Okay, from IDW this week, we got Sleeping Beauties number two that came out. We skipped number one, so I went back I, and I read. read. I went back and read number one. Okay, so Sandra, did you read Sleeping Beauties? No, no, I okay. didn't. Mm-hmm. It's Sleeping Beauties number one and two. Number two hit the shelves this week. Writer Rio Yours and artist Allison Sampson. This is based on a Stephen King story. If they hadn't have said that, 
I would have kind of felt like, you know what, this feels a little bit like Stephen King, but you know, they said it up front that it was based on a Stephen yeah. King story. So this was interesting. It was better than most of the adaptations that we get from King in comic book format. I don't know because I've never read the original story this is based off of. I haven't read the original story. I'm just saying this is a better adaptation of King then say I like the stand, but the the stand kind of weighed heavy after a while. Yeah, and the Dark Tower. Oh dear God, Dark Tower would never end for Marvel. And I lost interest in that like right around the third book. I thought they did a better job with this, and it, it's a good story. It's a good setup and all. I mean, what would happen if all the women slipped into a sleeping coma? I mean, quietness, peace on Earth. ABC would cancel oh, the Good Doctor. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We would get a very boring comic out of it. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Those benefits all seem to fall quickly by the wayside as riots break out. And the woman named Evie, who talks to animals, makes her way into a weeman, a weeman, a woman's penal colony. Well, you see where I was going with it. <laughs> hey, look, if you like King and you like weird horror stories, and I do, or I like King enough to put up with his weird horror stories, you can't go wrong with this book. If you like it when women fall asleep and secrete webbing from their orifices, you can't go wrong with this. <laughs> he means their mouth and nose and ears. Those are orifices, mouth, nose, and ears. I, you know, I was entertained by it. I want to see where it goes. I'm. I wasn't. I'm, I, you weren't at all. No, what did not, you not the least like bit. About it? Really? Uh, I didn't like about uh, most of anything about the book. We'll go into detail. Well, the writing wasn't good. I didn't care for the art. Uh, the story was pretty bland. Oh, wow. I'm going to say I, I gave the writing a four because it's hard to adapt King material into comic book format. Is it? It really is. Shouldn't be. You've read King stuff. Yeah, it shouldn't be hard to adapt it. The problem is, is that King repeats himself in, in characterization when he's writing fictional novels. I mean, the the kids in It are the same as the core group in The Stand, so far as characters' archetypes go. And it gets hard to distinguish between them. I didn't see too many repetitive archetypes in this from King, so I appreciated that. I, I was entertained by it. I gave the writing a 4, the art a 3, and the dynamic a 3. My score was 3.3. What What did you give it? I gave the writing a 2, the art a 3, and dynamic a 2. Well, we're not way far apart. You gave it a... 2.3. So you, you wouldn't recommend people pick this up? Uh, not really. I'm six and one half dozen the other. If you like Stephen King, pick it up. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Did you read it, Sandra? No. Yeah, you didn't miss nothing. Don't worry about it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not a big... Uh, actually, I don't think I've read... I think I've only read one thing by Stephen King. On now to Marvel Comics. They're canceling Amazing Mary Jane, Albert. Yeah, it's bound to happen. Yeah, I knew eventually. I, I actually thought that was a limited series. I thought it was going to be like 12 issues. It wasn't a bad comic. No, oh, that's a good comic. Nice little... I mean, if he's going to do a Mary Jane comic, this is probably the best way to do it. That first arc was very entertaining. I thought that was pretty good. Well, they may have canceled Mary Jane, but apparently Children of the Atom and the Werewolf book, Werewolf by Night book, are still a go, yeah. but I'm not sure when they're coming out. I werewolf. think the, were, the Werewolf by Night book is actually a miniseries, and by the time we get Children of Adam, it may be a, a miniseries. <laughs> now that Sony's got Mobius that'll eventually release, they're going to want Werewolf by Night, and you can get some of the classic monsters. If Marvel Cinematic can find a way to work Dracula in without 
detracting from any of the superhero movies, they'll do that too. Which book was X-Men Children of the Atom supposed to be? Uh, that was the one that nobody wanted, I believe. The yeah, one that I'm had... going to go ahead and say it. it. It looked goofy to me. Yeah, like new modern set of the original five or something like that. It looked uh, exactly like something that does not belong. That werewolf book, though, it's not werewolf by night that we know. It's not Jack Russell. It's some new Native American teen kid. So it's kind of like a Native American teen wolf, I guess. I don't know. The important, the important <laughs> thing is to get werewolves into the Marvel Universe and remind everybody that they exist. Because Rain Sinclair is not enough from no. the New Mutant. Now, they announced that, oh yeah, those are definitely coming out. Those are definitely coming out, Children of the Atom and Werewolf by Night, but I can't help but notice they didn't put a date on. Right, yeah. And Children of the Atom, I think, has a couple of issues in the box ready to go. I assume you looked at the official release. What I saw was one of the editors saying that, oh, no, 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 we're still going to release them, we just don't know when. Yeah. Right. Star Wars, Dr. Afra won a GLAAD award for Outstanding Comic Book Series. Oh, did so it? I, Cy Spurrier is accepted it. Cy Spurrier and Simon Spurrier, we're getting them mixed up, but they're two different people. I always get them mixed up, but it's Cy Spurrier that I like. He's the, the British don't. guy. You don't like Cy Spurrier? No, I don't ever get them mixed up. Well, who's the other guy? <laughs> no, he likes Cy Spurrier fine. He's just not mixing them up like you are, Sandra. No. Yeah, right. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, Dr. Afra. it's only a matter of time before we hear Dr. Afra showing up somewhere in a streaming series or movie. That's only a matter of time. I do like Dr. I like Dr. Afra's first comic book run. We're only a couple of issues into the second comic book run, and I don't like it as much. I really do like Dr. Afra's first comic book run. But yes, yeah, so I started... that. Who's writing that second run? I forget. It slips my mind. I, you get you get going so many of these, and I didn't I, have it written down in front of me. I think it's like they got some young adult writer on it. The first one was, of course, the incomparable Kyrian Gillian. Kyrian Gillian did that wonderful Darth Vader run. Yes, yes, he did. Dr. Afro has received an award for Outstanding Comic Series from GLAAD. Just a little heads up, we've talked about this, that both Marvel and DC are going to be doing what they can to get more money and to get their dollars worth, whether that means cutting comic book titles or what have you. Well, in Empire, it seems as though you've got like 20 pages of story, a couple of uh, diagrams or who's who pages, and then the rest of its ads, I think you're supposed to have like 40 pages of it, but only like 20 pages of story. And it costs four ninety nine. Man, if this is another sneak. Well, typically you've got price hike. You typically got 26 to 28 pages right, of story. Right, right. Yeah. And this, is, this couldn't be considered a price hike. They put 40 pages in it. It is a price hike. It's it's like when they, they took away our two pages. It used to be 22 pages, and then it was three ninety nine, and then they took away the two pages, and now it's 20 pages Look, and three ninety nine. dollars Yeah, it sounds like a bunch of more dead comic book stores to me. Yeah, it's well, not good. No, that's, that's not good. It's not as though they did a major price hike because, guys, I'm telling you, it's coming from D.C. Not this, but the price hike, the standardized price hike. We're not. Well, they ain't did it. We're talking about Marvel. They're the ones that did it. No, that's what I'm saying. This is a form of it. They've done this. 
but when they make the announcement that we're going from three ninety nine to four ninety nine on standard comics, yeah, they're the ones that are going to have to bend first. Now Marvel will do goofy little things like this until they absolutely cannot. But anyway, we'll we'll just have to wait and see, and we'll keep an eye on that sort of thing for you as well. Let's talk about some Marvel comics, y'all ready? Sure. Mm-hmm. Don't sound too excited. <laughs> I'm sure some of it was good. Well, okay, let me let me just insert my name of the Submariner watch. Does he appear in any of these comics to, uh, this week? Not that I'm aware of. Or last, uh, so that's going to be a big zero. If the oceans in, is in any of the comics, he's technically there. So. Hey, there you go. Yeah, we do see water in in several of the comic books. It's too bad you can't see my eyes rolling here. <laughs> Albert, let's start off with Cable number 2, writer Jerry Dugan, and artist Phil Noto. You liked the first issue, didn't you? Yeah, I like this. I don't care for the, uh, what do you call them, the cuckoos or whatever? The girls? The cuckoos. Yeah. The cuckoos. I don't care for them, or Emma. Cuckoos. Uh, I don't, shit, I don't know. The Space Knight-looking dudes with sword stuff I like, but but the, the other stuff I didn't. I thought the whole thing was fine. I thought it was quirky, it was funny. Didn't sacrifice characterization. It was a fun book, and, and, and it benefits the ex-Pantheon. I like the interaction with the cops. Before you go back through that weird plant portal you got there, stop off and get you a Philly cheesesteak. And that's exactly what Cyclops does. There is some titillation in it with him dating all six of the cuckoos. The cuckoos, for anybody that doesn't read Marvel Comics, White Queen, Emma Frost, has her own little psychic circle there, with a bunch of teenage girls that all look very similar to one another, all have blonde hair, and all are in psychic sync with each other. They're clones of Emma Frost. Oh, did we find that out? Yeah, that's their origin. I think there's actually a bunch more of them, but I don't know if they survive, but these are the clones of Emma Frost. I think Wasn't that a Morrison thing? I think, yeah, I think it was from Morrison. It was Morrison that created them, but when Morrison created them, there was only three of them. They're created by Morrison in the, because yeah. they were in the front of his run. Yeah, that makes it even better to me. That That's they're why all they're, yeah, yeah, they're all in sync. And yeah, Emma I don't have to feel sorry if any yeah. of them get So, you know, if any of them get their heart broken or something. But yeah, I, I thought it was entertaining. I always liked Jerry Dugan's book. Jerry is doing a great job for Marvel. I gave the writing a four, the art a three, the dynamic a three. My score was 3.3. It's worth your money. It's just that nothing dynamic happens in it. It's just great dialogue, and uh, it's nice to look at. I, I do like Phil Noto. Yeah, so. Noto's very good. I give Noto, I give him a four, uh, I give Art of Four, Writing of Three, Dynamic of Three. I mean, yeah. reality, this is mostly set up for that X-Men sword thing that you're going to do. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that, but I enjoyed this. Yeah. Sandra, did you read Cable? Mm, no, I'm oh. kind of avoiding most of the X-Books because, you know, I'm so far behind. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So Cable's still worth your money, just nothing dynamic. It was, like I said, it's a cute book. It was entertaining, and it adds to the X-Pantheon. That's something that I felt that Excalibur wasn't doing. This contributes to it. X-Factor number one was the brand new X-Book released this week. I was nervous about it because I don't like, you know, how many X-Books do we need? But this one worked real well, I thought. Leah Williams is the writer David Baldian is the artist on it. Albert, what do you think of X-Factor number one? It's okay. I'd rather, I mean, I like the version of X-Factor with Madrix in it. So this is them doing the Peter David version of X-Factor without Peter David and without multiple man. You really felt that? Yeah. I could tell his shadow. I could tell the shadow of Peter David was there. Yeah, multiple man's not in it. 
then, okay, that 6 one half dozen the other doesn't mean he can't be at it in the future. It did kind of take on its own voice there because of the way they justified it. I mean, I thought it was very well handled the way they set it up, and it, it makes sense to me. What they're there for is they're there to locate missing mutants to determine whether or not they're living or dead in order for the resurrection team to go through with bringing them back or not. I definitely like that setup. Yeah, the setup where they have to go figure out if people are alive or dead, I do like that. But they still do it based on the Peter David style of X Factor. Like, you know, it's more of an investigative thing. Which you know, I like. So. I, I think we need that. This is not... So you pick North Star? Uh, whatever. Well, North Star because his sister died. But yeah, this the writer could have cho- chosen any money. I do like North Star because North, North Star is a jerk. More so than Maddox is. North Star is hard to work with and yeah. hard to get along with. And he has these one-liners and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm I'm down for that. I felt that it added to the X-Mythos that Hickman's creating. I thought it was a credit to the Krakoa era of X-Men comics. I'm really beginning to think that the best thing they ever did was have the mutants stop overtly fighting each other. We're getting more story qualities. We're going in different directions that we didn't really see before. That yeah. doesn't require evil mutant team of the week to show up or mystique to go on a killing rampage or something like that. I'm curious to see where the book goes. I thought the art almost got too cartoony in a couple of places, but overall I I very much liked the art. I gave the writing a five. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a five. My score was 4.7. And I'm just going to give it straight twos. I just didn't care for it. It ain't awful. It's just, I just, I just don't care. I was highly entertained by it. I enjoyed it. I did not think I was going to. I was not looking forward to it. By the end of it, I thought, you know what? This is this pretty good book. I like the characterization in it. Okay, so you gave it straight twos. I gave yeah. it 0.7. Okay. All right, boy, we're, we're kind of far apart on a few things. X-Men number 10, writer Jonathan Hickman and artist Linnell Francis Yu. It's a tie-in to that dumb Avengers Attack of the Plants. Yeah. This one, this one's done a little bit better, though. So. I, I did, too. It focused on Gabrielle Vulcan, Scott's uh, it, brother, right? You mean Gabriel? Gabriel. Yeah. Summers. Yeah. yeah. Gabriel Summers. And I, I very much enjoyed that. He's a character that I know from that initial story arc way back when. They fleshed him out a good bit in it. They took what could have been a pointless tie-in, and they turned it into a character development issue. Yeah. It, I didn't think it was the greatest X-Men issue under Hickman. But it was nowhere near bad at all. I, I very much enjoyed it. It's a tie-in issue to Empire, but it's it's there to sort of give you a hint about what happened with Kid Vulcan and, yeah. and how he get, came back. They do use it as something more than just a throwaway. In other words, this issue, without Empire going on, this issue could have come out the same thing, just changed up the opponents in the book, and yeah. we would have gotten the same story. So, yeah, they took what could have been just a, a bad issue, and they turned it into something good. Writing a four, the art is a five. It's Linnell Francis Yu. The dynamic, I gave a three because it was a tie-in book. My score for X-Men number 10 was a four. Yeah, I gave the writing a four, the art a five, and dynamic a three. So. Okay, so we're, yeah. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty much the same on that. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I mean, you could tell they probably had this one shot where Ken Vulcan lined up for a while. When they had to get to the obligatory tie-in thing for something, they just sort of used it for, the, for that. Let's talk about Star Wars, and then we'll get to Sandra's favorite stuff. The sure. Star Wars Darth Vader number three, writer Greg Pak and artist Raphael Linko. 
It's been four months since the last issue. Now, Albert, you didn't read this, did you? Yeah, I did. I read it like oh, while yeah, we was yeah. talking, waiting on Sam. I'm sorry. I forgot That's about right. that. Okay. It does not disappoint. This is more Star Wars greatness, and it fits like a glove in the established canon of not only the movies, but the novels. And this really does promise to bring a satisfying completion to the aftermath of Padme Amidala's death. I think this comic's a true benefit to Star Wars fans. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Vader is traveling with one of Padme's handmaidens that has survived the whole ordeal as he goes on his quest to kill everybody involved that hid the fact that Padme was alive and pregnant from him. This is post-Empire. Greg Pak is knocking it out of the park with Vader. I'm biased, but I gave the score a complete five on this book. How about you, Albert? Uh, no, I gave it straight forward. It's a very good book. I enjoyed it. There's too many Vader stories where everyone's like, hey, we're going to get to jump on Vader. Then they don't, or what this is to some extent. But it's a very good comic. The lead-in to it was different because she looks just like Padme. Like, why would you want to plot against Vader? Well, you want to plot against Vader because in their case, they think that Vader killed Anakin and Padme. This is Padme's handmaiden and what's left of the loyalists to Padme. They've sworn an oath. They're going to have their justice for Padme. The handmaiden is the handmaiden that Kira Knightley played in episode one. And I can't remember her name now to save my life. It was it something with an S? Yes, but they're all with an S. If you read the recent Padme novel that came out, The, uh, the Queen's Shadow, this does have direct tie-ins to that. It's a good book. Greg Pak knows what he's doing with this. Star Wars is in good hands with him. Yeah, it's a very good book. Now let's get to what Sandra has been anxiously awaiting. X4. Yeah, X4 came out last week. Did you read yeah. it? Yeah, I did. You did? I, what I, happened in it then? Xavier White reads mind. Reed had created that mutant device that could oh, be used. Oh, yes, to right. Yeah. He did, didn't he? Of course, Franklin saved the day and took out all of Doom's Sentinels. shenanigans. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're not called uh, Sentinels. They're something else. Doom named them elaborately, but it all went according to Doom's plan. His plan, yeah. But yeah, we learn at the end that Doom had planned all of this. And he's maintaining a modicum of Franklin's power somehow that he yeah. got from Franklin shutting everything down. And again, Xavier got put in his place, but even better, that accursed Richards got his come up. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't Richards figure out that something got done with him and then like stretch his brain around to try to figure it, to, to put it all back? Yeah, I don't think once Xavier mind wipes certain things that stretching your brain is going to do a damn thing to help you. Are but you yeah, sure? They didn't wipe the fact that they did that. No, they, he he wanted him to know that he did it to him. Yeah, Reed is very aware they did it to him. And that was a wonderful illustration. Well, not illustration, but that was a wonderful way to show what was done at the end when you have those Hickman text pages come up mm -hmm. and it's describing the device Reed created and there's giant circles of text cut out of it. And then the last page is completely blank. All he has to do is go to Tony Stark and tell him what he made and tell Tony to make it for him. And that also depends on, like, is it the Tony Stark that's in Empire? Because that guy's a complete idiot. No, it was a great book. Uh, Zadarsky, once again, man, he is firing on all cylinders. Because it was yeah. that moment when Reed and Franklin have a hug out. 
it was so touching. And then Valeria was the one who recognized what Uncle Doom did, which was great. And I always like the dialogue between her and Doom. I thought it was a great miniseries. Overall, I really enjoyed it. I like the fact that Doom put Xavier in his place, and then Xavier yeah. in turn put that accursed Richards in his place. I, I just... Cursed Richard. I, yes. I mean, really, come on. You yeah. create something like that, but you don't have any defenses against the mutant psychics, even if you think Xavier would never in a million years do that. You really can get into the morality of this, because that device that Reed created, that right. could be really detrimental to mutants. Yes. I don't blame Xavier at all, especially given that this is similar to the reasons that Sue, Ben, and Johnny left him during Civil War. Right. This is very much a callback to that. Just because you can do something does not mean you should do something. Right. And and he just ignored an entire race and went right ahead. The entire X-Men Fantastic Four crossover by Zdarsky, highly recommend. I highly recommend it. So if you missed out on it, pick it up when it's in trade paperback. Sandra, you, how you feel about it? You, I would say... I gave it straight fives. I did too. I, no pressure, Sandra. Okay. <laughs> I said the writing was a five. I think the Dotsons were a little rushed in some places. So I want to say four, four, four point five on the art and five on the dynamic. Definitely so close worth enough. The 20 bucks for a trade paperback when they yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Now on to this week's Empire offerings. Oh, this week and last week's Empire offerings. Uh, it's all kind it's of. It's all right. one. It's all one. Yeah, it's amazing that they cut this event down, and there's still way too many tie-ins. Yeah, oh, there are. Yeah. Well, Empire number three came out this week. Writer Al Ewing and Dan Slott. I continue to be in amazement that Al Ewing is writing something I hate. Art by Valerio Shidey. So the Avengers Fantastic Four Empire event. You'll never view ferns the same way again, or maybe oh. you will. Your relationship with foliage is really none of my business. Uh, this is painfully boring. I had to restart this issue three times because I had Spider-Verse, the Spider-Verse movie, on the TV in the background, and I kept watching it instead. What? All I learned from this issue of Empire is that I'd pay real money if Marvel could find someone to actually write Tony Stark. Uh, I had a lot of problems with this book, but that last page was really good. I was on the last page. Did it have something to do with Spider-Verse? <laughs> no, it was, uh, this is spoilers, it's, uh, it was the Scroll Queen. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't, that, no, you know what that was to me? What? Oh, by the way, the Scrolls and the Kree are still here. We're not mm -hmm. sure what we're doing with them, but here they are. Uh, yeah, I, eh, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, not only is it not that exciting... Not only is it not that exciting, but it's you can see stuff coming for a mile. Okay, maybe that particular scroll queen. But the worst part is that I have to live through lines like, vegetation will triumph. Our seeds are strong. And keep these weed warriors off the lawn. It's just, as villains slash adversaries, they leave much much, much to be desired. Why is nobody spraying pesticide on them? I know! Take out the Roundup! <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Geneva Convention, probably. I gave the writing a two. The art was good. I gave the art a four. I gave the dynamic a one. My score is 3.5. Please do not waste your money on this. 
Spider-Verse movie score was five out of five. You must see Spider-Verse repeatedly. I gave The Riding a two. Uh, I gave Art a four. And I gave Dynamic a three. For the most part, this this event's been 90% boring, but maybe something will happen now that we got sort of a, a reveal involved. So I, I don't know. You know, there was also the reveal in two, wasn't it? That two was the one that had Mantis returning, right? Yeah, yeah. it was Mantis. Who cares? Yeah. Well, I, I like Mantis. The, the Scroll Queen. I don't care about her. Don't care about Mantis. I, I just don't care. There were two tie-in books. There's more than two. No, there were like 20 or something. No, 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 no. There was, this week, there was the Captain Empire America. Cap. and yeah. yeah, Empire Savage Avengers. And last week, there was Empire Avengers and Empire the Hulkling. Yeah, I just don't. By know. Zadarsky. Yeah, we don't have to give like yeah. individual score to these. I, I would say, if you want a fun, a really fun comic, Read the Savage Avengers one. That one yeah. was good. Conan knows his shit. It was a fun story, and it would be better if they weren't tossing salad. Conan has that one line in it. Get it? Tossing salad? Conan. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, that, that goes along with uh, vegetation will triumph and our seeds will are strong. <laughs> I, think, I think mine is better. Conan has that one line in that book where he says, the men are weak and their code is lacking, referring to this current generation. And I agree 110% with Conan. <laughs> You would actually like Anson Mount to play Conan, wouldn't you? I don't know. I think Anson is too manly to play Conan. (laughs) What? Conan is supposed to be the manly of the manliest. Yeah, so if you're going to pick up one of them, we suggest what? Savage Avengers? No. I didn't like Savage Avengers. Sandra didn't like it, but but to me it was just if you want a fun Venom, Conan, Tima, read Savage Avengers. Yeah, it was fun. It was a fun book. What would you recommend, Sam? Cap was good. It was a solid Cap story. Yeah, but it's just the same Captain America story I've read a thousand times before. Yeah, nothing. New I will say. I will say this about the Captain America tie-in was the artist was Ariel Olivetti, and he has like completely changed his style again. It's unrecognizable. Oh, yeah. Okay, I didn't recognize it. DC Comics. Okay, I'm going to. I'm going to get a little pissed here. And go into something. Did y'all hear about the Tom King, Jay Lee situation? Yeah. Let me, yeah. Let, me, let me do this first. No matter what anyone says about any of these guys, we have to remember that Tom King is ex-CIA. Amen. And he is not to be trusted, and he is not a good guy. Yeah, amen. That's the first thing that was going to come out of my mouth. Yeah, Tom King, why don't you share with us some of your activities as a CIA agent? Why don't you come forward with that before you go attack a damn introvert who stays away from the internet because he doesn't want to hear the damn negativity going on and try to ruin his career? So, Tom King, why don't you release some of your damn CIA documents and let us make a judgment on your happy ass? I am so livid over that, it's not funny. Because Jay Lee did a cover for somebody that had something to do with that damn alt-right group, I I think we need to drop Tom King and Ethan Van Skyver on a damn deserted island and let them learn to love one another and what stay away was, from the rest reality, of humanity. What, what happened was Ethan Van Skyver knew Jay Lee from back in the day. Yeah, and didn't and he knew he was not on social media at all to follow any of this. So he just asked him, and Jay Lee's like, "Sure, I remember working with you before." Yeah, fine, whatever. 
Tom King, deep disappointment over this Rorschach cover. I'm deep disappointment that you're even anywhere near a damn comic book, Tom King. But yeah, before you open your damn mouth, why don't we hear about some of your activities as a Central Intelligence Agency operative? I I have just absolutely, as a result, uh, honest to God, as a result of this situation, y'all can read and talk about anything Tom King does. I know we gave uh, Strange Adventures wonderful ratings last week and was just falling over ourselves over it. I ain't reading another damn thing Tom King does, period. I don't want to glamorize him. I don't want him, I, after this, I don't even want his name mentioned on this program. The hubris, the sheer all of this former spook for the CIA to come down on somebody that wouldn't harm a lamb and almost destroy his career over it. You know, first off, I'm sick uh, that we've completely forgotten innocent until proven guilty. It came out, it worked out well for Jim Lee. It didn't work out well. It did not work out well for Jay Lee at all. Uh, Jay Lee was dealing with a personal crisis at the time, and he had no idea of any of this. He learned it in the middle of this personal crisis. Oh, Tom King apologized to Jay Lee, and it, good for Jay Lee that Jay Lee says that we're not all good, that they're not all good between them. Any apology at this point offer just a sheer unadulterated attack by Tom King on somebody he doesn't know from Adam's house cat because he sitting up on his damn pedestal, has deemed them as not up to his standards. I want the damn CIA file released on Tom King. I want to know exactly what this guy was up to. No good. Yeah, let's put that out there on Twitter. Let's let's tweet line by line his CIA activities, if he's man enough to release them, and let's find out how the Twitterverse reacts to that absolutely livid over this. This was an unwarranted attack on an individual, and I don't give a damn that he apologized afterwards. It should have never occurred. So that was my bit about Tom King, and uh, I wanted to get that out there and have been waiting patiently on that, but I'm dead serious about that. The hypocrisy Tom King has exhibited here is over the top, and this is all going to be brushed under the carpet. Jay Lee did not deserve this. No. I I have to agree. I don't don't think Jay Lee deserved I've met Jay Lee, and he is he is a very quiet fellow, and obviously he's very private. And in absolutely no way am I defending Comicsgate or what Tom. No, King none did. of us are. None of us Tom, are. Or yeah. what Tom King did. I'm pretty sure that part of the reason that happened was because of the stuff that happened with Dynamite and the Comicsgate cover. That happened. The same week, I think, or yeah, the yeah, it, was right, it was right on top of each other, right? So, like, people were already the canceling dynamite for their connection to Comics Gate, and then this happened. I guess King thought it was in the same boat, but you just used King's name and said the word thought. There's no well, thought that went into this other than self aggrandizement. Well, I do, I do, I do agree that I don't think there was a lot of thought given to, he didn't think about where his actions have been. He has no room to be taking that stance. Yeah, this has been like a really way too much comic gate airtime as far as I'm concerned. Tom King and Ethan Van Skyver, two sides of the same coin. Get rid of both of them. If I never hear either one of their names again, I will be a happy, happy camper.
So what it is now is now we're dragging people in who actively avoid the internet and actively avoid Twitter and everything because of all the negativity. No, they're not even safe now. And it doesn't matter that you've not done a damn thing wrong. We're going to drag you out into the street and beat your reputation to a pulp because no matter the amount of apologies or follow-ups that's done, it's still going to stick with most of the people that get their news from Twitter. Uh, Jay Lee did something that Tom King didn't like for a comics game. I, I, this whole thing is disgusting to me. Comicsgate, Ethan Van Skyver, and especially Tom King. And I hope Tom King's name gets stuck right there with Comicsgate, where people get so damn sick and disgusted with it, they just want it to go away. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not reviewing another damn one of his books. I'm not putting him up here. Not even mentioning him. I cannot tell you how it, you, you, innocent. And, and he, you know, and then releasing that statement that I apologize. So it should all be better now. No, no, it's not. And Jay Lee rightfully has removed himself from the situation as best he can. And well, will not say anything else about it. And I don't blame him for that. Leave the people that don't want to be a law involved alone. Well, yeah. yeah it's I, not like me saying that. It's not like me giving the opinion that uh, Tom King's Batman isn't good enough to wipe your butt with. That's an opinion. That's a review. You're going out and you're picking an individual out and dragging them out and destroying them. You want to say you're sorry? Remove yourself from Twitter. Remove yourself from social media. Mm-mm-mm. And again, well, we'll same thing goes for Ethan Van Skyver. We actively have avoided talking about Comicsgate, but this is intricately tied into what happened to Jay Lee. And I I'm, cannot, it, I, ugh. So anyway, in other DC news, <laughs> Scott Snyder is scaling back his DC stories. <laughs> <laughs> and I say, good for Scott Snyder. <laughs> He's like, now it's like he stand in front of a, a burning house going, my job here's done. <laughs> yes. Yes. Marvel, what have you got for me? I hear y'all need a good Iron Man writer over there. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Massive coronary. <laughs> so, yeah. No, that's exactly what it is. He's, he's, how much of it do you think is his decision and how much of it do you think is DC Editorial's decision oh, um, scaling back from his central DC central line. I, he, I, I, what, I mean, only writes like a book at a time. There was a line in there that said, "I'm I'm done taking the wind out of the other DC titles" or something like that. <laughs> well, at least you're self-aware, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I have a little more respect for you this week. Again. <laughs> yeah. Look, I love Scott Snyder's independent work, the stuff he does independent of DC. I, I think he's really, really good. I think Undiscovered Country and things like that, I think that's where he needs to be and where he should focus. He could really come out with something epic. I think he just needs to be taken away from the DC Comics characters. Doesn't he have something else going on? Yeah, Undiscovered yeah. Country. Yeah, that and, and something else, I thought, but maybe Undiscovered I'm Undiscovered Country is a good book. He okay. may have, yeah, he probably has something. Look, if it's got Scott Snyder's name on it, I will pick it up and I will read it so long as it's not interfering with DC continuity, which I'm being forced to read. 
Yes. Like I said, we can't recommend Undiscovered Country enough, but I don't know what in the hell is going on with death metal. Rumor is Zaitana dies. The character Zaitana is going to die in Justice League Dark number 27. That's just rumor. I mean, uh, she's a magician. Their whole gimmick is that they constantly fake their death. Ta-da! Yeah, or she could say <laughs> something backwards and come back. I like the aesthetic of Zatanna. I, I like the character development and the fact that her dad trained Batman. But how much is there? I mean, she's one of these characters that she can be overpowered or underpowered. All I'm she sorry. has to do is say something backward. Nobody stays dead forever, but apparently they're planning on her to die in Justice League Dark 27. So we're going to issue a vulture alert. <laughs> for that book and for Suicide Squad number seven, which has the first appearance of Live Shot, except it's not really Live Shot's first appearance because Live Shot is Dead Shot's daughter who first appeared in Dead Shot volume two, number one, way back when. None of that matters. If you have trouble finding Suicide Squad number seven this week, it's because the eBay vultures have swooped down and grabbed them out because now Dead Shot's daughter has a superhero name. Yeah. I don't like it when they swoop in, grab the stuff, and sell it off eBay. And again, I am a, even when I was running the store, like I've said repeatedly, I'm a horrible business person because this was not something we were actively doing around the clock was pulling these books and selling them on eBay because live shot appears in Suicide Squad number seven. People don't realize that a lot of the stuff that some of the stuff that sells on eBay right at the start yeah. of something picking up big, those are rigged prices. Yeah. Where people just have multiple accounts and they'll put something on one, then buy it on another at an astronomical price and then just try to repeat it. Yeah. But with actual people buying it at the markup, that's all that is. That's all, all that's yeah. rigged and fake, as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't tend to last on most of them. First appearance in Namor, you can get that for what now? Oh, five <laughs> bucks. If you get it for five bucks, I'll pay you $10 for it. Yeah, that's... You that, can that's, double your money on that. There. She'll give you grouper, too. <laughs> Ten dollars. Marvel, Marvel Motion Pictures uh, one, which I think there's only like nine copies of. Ten dollars and a slab of grouper. <laughs> <laughs> On to the DC comic books this week. First up, we've got everybody's favorite writer, Brian Michael Bendis on Legion of Superhero number seven. Artists on this are Sook, Graw Badger, and Stephen Byrne. If you look at the art and don't read it, it's a really pretty book. Reading the words, though, tends to ruin the whole aesthetic, in my oh, opinion. Gosh. Uh, what'd you think, Albert? Yeah, the art's very good. This this book has no plot. Oh, that's typical Bendis. Uh, it doesn't seem to do anything. It's just everybody go over here. Everybody go over here. And now we're going to run in front of the intergalactic Senate, you know, the United Planet Senate and President. Superboy is going to make a speech and win her over. And if you just look at the art, it's really pretty. All three of the artists, Sook, Raw Badger, and uh, Stephen Byrne, they knock it out of the park. I just don't know what Bendis thinks he's doing with it. I gave the writing a two, the art of four, and the dynamic one. Score on Legion of Superheroes is 2.3, and I'm about ready to bail on that book until they do something different. I gave writing a two, dynamic one, and an art. I give a four on art. Art's very good. It's just He's just yeah. wasted. He's just I'm wasted. not kidding. If you just look through this book, it is a good-looking book. It is. 
It really is. And that's something that rarely happens when you've got three artists on one standard comic book. But it is a sharp-looking book. It's just that Bendis's words get in the way of it. Okay, so we both call it in at 2.3 on Legion of Superheroes. And now I know we're going to disagree a little on this one, the uh, summertime special called Cybernetic Summer. I mean, we they're... ain't really going to disagree on it too much in reality. Yeah. Okay, it's, uh, their trade paperback released, various artists, various writers, random set of stories involving robots and artificial intelligence in some way that I didn't really feel that it hit with any story. Yeah, Beetle and Booster had an okay story. I felt it was more of a letdown. I thought the, the, the Blue Beetle and Booster Gold was great, but beyond that, I didn't. I mean, Lord, he had a Wonder Woman story that was all about how everyone watched anime. Yeah, nothing really hit with this. I definitely do not think this is worth the money. Every quarter they put out a special, the summer special, spring special, winter special, fall special. Probably not in that order, but <laughs> save your money on this one. Okay, a book we haven't talked about in a little while, Batman Superman number 10, writer Williamson and artist Henry on it. Bruce leaves Wayne Tech logos on his weaponry now. Did you catch that? I don't remember it was, that. I mean, it's completely forgettable. It was sloppy storytelling. The whole thing rang hollow. The artwork was all right. It's a throwaway comic. It's nothing. Yeah, but on the exploding Batarang, Batman takes a component off the exploding Batarang, supposedly caused the demise of the ultra-humanite, and it says Wayne Tech on it. Is that not a problem? Well, it should be. It was his tech. You don't see Submariner throwing fish and... What would the fish have on them? Sandra went to get something to drink. No, is, Sandra is, is like, what? No! DC Universe is still not... Do they not remember Batman Inc.? Okay. All right. No. All right. Batman Inc. Yeah. I don't. And how do we know that's still in continuity? We've rebooted enough times. I just... Yeah, Batman Incorporated is in continuity. Okay, so... Grant it's Morrison okay. wrote it. It's in my continuity. That's all I care about. <laughs> there we go. So that's the excuse for the Wayne Tech logo being on an explosive device on a Batarang. I gave the writing a two, the art of three, the dynamic a one. My score on it was two for Batman Superman. And I gave the art a three. Art, art's good. Writing and dynamic a two. It's just sort of a... It's, I mean, it's an okay comic. It just ain't much to it. Now we're going to do a new segment of the program. <laughs> <laughs> called Next Week's Comics. And what we're going to do is we're going to give really quick our recommendation or thoughts on the comics coming up for the following week. These will be comics scheduled for next Wednesday, the week of August 5th. From Dark Horse, we got the Alien Original Screenplay number one. I'm in on that. I'm down for that. I would put money on that. I'd like to see what they do. Is that a comic? Yeah, they're adapting the original screenplay. Is it going to have the alien talk at the end of it? Oh, God, that'd be great. In uh, Ripley's voice? Yeah. Yeah, where the alien is recording in Ripley's voice? That would have been a shocker at the time it came out. That movie would never have reached the heights that it has today if they had filmed it like that. I agree. I don't know. <laughs> that seemed pretty stupid to me one way or another. The talking alien. Jesus. I don't think I've actually sat through and watched Alien... Are you serious? I watched bits and pieces of it, but I don't think I've actually sat down and watched the entire movie the original like in one Alien. sitting. Yeah, the yeah. original Alien is an excellent horror story. Well, that's probably why I didn't sit down and watch it yet. I mean, it's just a movie. It can't hurt you. I don't like scary movies. If we're making bets on this, would you say that it's a pickup or a don't worry with it? I'll pick it up. I'll pick issue one up. Sandra? Mm, no. 
Okay, and I, I would pick it up, too. I'm definitely going to pick it up. I'm actually kind of excited about it. So you got two recommendations. and well, I, One is like, I'm not a horror fan, usually. Well, okay, fair enough. But still, mm-hmm. that's a no on it. Yeah, so yeah. That's, yeah that's, but I mean, that's just because, you know, I'm not a horror fan. I mean, if, you're, if you like horror or you like that movie, then I'd have to say, pick it up. And again, we're making these recommendations blind. We haven't read any of these. We're just guessing and basing in certain points we're just basing it on what's come before what we've been reading all right my little pony and the transformers crossover number one from idw is this uh, a follow-up to transformers gi joe uh, do i don't know if that's in continuity with this comic i don't know okay. i don't think it is i can't see that guy doing my little pony transformers it doesn't well, look it may like not it be it may not be scioli doing it it may just be a follow-up to when megatron got thrown on that planet I am morbidly curious about this. So, yeah, I'm going to read it. It'll be on next week's review. Sure, I'll give you one shot before I decide I hate it. And Sandra's vote is hell no. (laughs) (laughs) I can understand that. I mean, my initial reaction to it is hell no, too. But, oh, dear God, this is a car wreck. I'm going to slow down and look at it. Once again, that's a hell, that's just like the alien screenplay. It's because I am not interested in either of those things. So I'm not interested in either of those things individually. So I'm definitely not interested in them being smashed up together. I just got to see how they do it. I've yeah. got to see how they probably won't go beyond number one. Okay, Star Trek, year five, number 13. I'm um, going to say if you're a Star Trek fan, go ahead and get it. It's yeah. been okay. And it's the original series version. William Shatner's Captain Kirk, Leonard Nimoy, Spock. The story's been okay in it, and I fall in and out of it, and then I catch up with it. Year five, number 13. Yeah, if you're a Star Trek fan. If you're not a Star Trek fan, no, you can skip it. I would recommend skipping it. What about you, Albert? Eh, I don't care for it. I ain't going to worry about it. So, and Sandra? The same. Same. Just as like the other one. Nope, not interested. <laughs> Firepower by Kirkman and Samney. Robert Kirkman, writer of The Walking Dead, coming in from Image. Issues number one and two apparently being released together. Instantly, anything that Kirkman puts out for the first couple of issues, I'm going to pick up. But to be honest, Kirkman has been hit, hit, miss to me in the past. But this could be the next big thing. This could be his magnum opus for all we know. Mm-hmm. You could save your money for the new deluxe color versions of the Walking Dead collections that are coming out. Yeah, I think the Walking Dead looks better in black and white. That, oh, that cow has run out of milk. Oh, you think so? Unless he wants to do a, a Negan series. Uh-huh. Runs off that one shot he did, he might as well just give it up. Oh, he's okay. already said that that's not... That's yeah, I not thought he had given it up. You may see Negan again, but it, he's not interested. Oh, in yeah, I've, I've heard all that crap from Robert Kirkman before. The television series is ending, isn't it? Oh, what, the word body still no, watched? I didn't think so. They're going to come back with Fear the Walking Dead, and they're coming back with a new Walking Dead series. The um... Oh, season 10 finale on Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah so, no, not the, not the series finale. Right. Yeah, so the three of you still watching it, you got that going for you, which is nice. <sighs> Undiscovered Country, as I said before, yeah, this is a no-brainer. This is a weird, wild comic book. Scott Snyder's at his best in it. This is the stuff Scott Snyder should be doing, is original stuff that he can just go batshit insane on. So Undiscovered Country, number seven, I recommend. I I would say, yeah, if you've liked what's come so far, this is a no-brainer. Continue to pick it up. Albert? Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's a great book. Plus three for Sandra. Yeah, you're down for that? Yeah. Okay, good deal. 
under the category of Toss Salad, Empire number four from Marvel Comics. I'm going to say call it a day. It's over. Please don't waste your money on Empire. Also, Empire Handbook is coming out. That is a... Do you really need to know what the plants are naming themselves? Am I being attacked by by a marigold? Yeah. Or a larkspur? (laughs) Even though we'll probably review Empire number four, I'm going to say that's a hard pass on Empire number four and Empire Handbook. Albert? Uh, No, on the handbook. I mean, I'm going to read them. I'm going to read four, so... Well, of course we're going to read four, but really at this point, I don't think they should waste their money on it. It's talking plants. I don't think people should waste their money on any of this stuff in this economy. <laughs> Boy, you're you're just really, every time I get close to launching that Patreon, you're just right there to <laughs> shoot it down, aren't you, man? <laughs> every time I lay the groundwork, you just come right up. <laughs> We got to keep it pure. No outside interference. We got to keep it. We got to keep it real. Uh-huh. Empire X Men number two. I'm kind of looking forward to this because it has the Golden Girls bot. Yeah, it, it's, it, I'll read it just for them. Those are great characters. Yeah. I'm going to say if you're reading Hickman's X Men, yeah, it's worth the gamble. The first one was a pretty okay book. It was good, given what we're dealing with. Again, weeds. It's got the old women botanists in it. And they were absolutely hysterical every time they've shown up. Yeah, I'm down for Empire X-Men number two. And yep. and Sandra, you're just not up on... Or, or Did you read X-Men, Empire X-Men number one? Man, no, I am like completely behind. I, I've been trying to avoid most of the X-Books because I'm so far behind. Giant Size X-Men Phantom X is also scheduled next week from Marvel. I'm disappointed with the Giant Size X-Men. And also there's a, there's a heavier price tag on these than normal. I'm going to say you can probably skip it. I'm going to say that since nothing of any true relevance has happened in the previous Giant Size X-Men's that's been released, that unless you're just an X-Men completist, you can probably save your money on this one. It's Phantom X. I'll read it. I do like Phantom X. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot if it's Phantom X. Well, it's Phantom X, so I'm not getting anywhere near it. So, no thank you. What's wrong <laughs> Sorry, with Phantom Albert. X? I just thought, I never cared for this character. He just The I, dude's mutant ability is he got a flying saucer for a, for a nervous where, system. Where is his flying saucer? I haven't seen his flying saucer in oh, forever. Oh, died one time. Okay, all right. Phantom X and the two different people were... Or three different God. people or something else. I don't know. And they also shot a baby on the moon in the head one time. No, I don't like this character at all. Like, he's, well, damn, now he's Albert's a, making me change my mind. Go out and buy it. He's like in the same vein as like him and Cable. They're just like characters I just, no, I, I don't even want to get. He's based off Danger Diabolic. Yeah, well. Cable's <laughs> based off, off stupidity and cocaine. Okay, we've also got Guardians of the Galaxy number five coming out from Marvel. This is written by Ewing. I very much enjoyed this reboot of Guardians. What's the plot of this comic? I don't even remember the last time I read an issue. Basically, they're reforming, and it looks like Star-Lord's dead. He's not. We know he's not. But Oh, they're... yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I'll give it, yeah, I've been liking this book already. Even though yeah. I don't remember it, I remember liking this. Yeah, I'll give it a shot, just to sort of jog yeah, my it's... memory. It's Ewing, and it's the best interpretation of him I've seen currently. Sandra, do you have an opinion? Uh, trade waiting. Trade waiting. Okay. All right. Well, speaking of trades, also for Marvel, you got two trades coming out, and Punisher Soviet trade paperback. I think both Albert and I gave that, yeah, a definite thumbs up. That's written by Ennis. Yeah. Savage Avengers trade paperback volume two to Dine with Doom. Definite. Definite. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah, that really was. That really was. So those are two trade paperbacks worth it. Star Wars number five coming out from Marvel. To me, that's a no-brainer. Yes. If you're on Star Wars, you're going to buy it. So, Albert, 
Sandra? No. Yeah, I, yeah, right. It's Star Wars, I guess. Sandra is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> you have to remember, Sandra A subscribes to Albert's point of view of, I'm not spending my money on much, and B, I just am not really into the comics that are based off of movies. But I'm a Star Wars completist. I, right. I mean, this is very enjoyable stuff. I know Ahsoka Tano is about to turn up in this comic. Star Wars is not, uh, they're not movies. You're right. They're epic, epic tales. Yes, they are. There we go. They're a way of life. Thank you, Albert. It's, I'm saying it's a life well lived. <laughs> Do you want to end up on that island with Tom <laughs> Nathan Van Skyver, Albert? <laughs> All right, stuff from DC Comics next week. Dark Knights, Death Metal, Legends of the Dark Knights, number one. Uh, this is going to be one of those oversized things that is more money and has multiple stories in it. And damn it, I don't want to recommend it. I don't want to say that I'm looking forward to it, but it's got an Ellis story and it's got an Ennis story in it. And that's... It's got a talking car in it. I'll read it for Yeah, if, if you've already wasted money on death metal, go ahead and pick this up because I'm going to. For I want to see the Ellis and Ennis stories. I, I, think, see one, Ellis I think one story is like a Jabberjaw Batman or something. Are you trying to talk me out? <laughs> You know, you remember Jabberjaw, don't you? Yes, I remember Jabberjaw. <laughs> so we're both positive on Dark Knight's death. Note. Sure, why not? On this one thing. Yeah. Not the regular thing, but on this one thing. I'm so damn curious about the Ellis and Ennis stories. Yeah, I'm picking it up. Batman number 96, that's a no-brainer. I say yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be good. Yeah. Harley Quinn's last issue from DC Comics until they reboot her. Inside of a month, uh, issue number 75, really pass. There's so many Harley Quinn stuff and all that. Just save your money. I mean, why would you spend any money on any Harley Quinn stuff? Well, there's a lot of people doing that. They need, they need to stop. Uh, hell no. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not interested in Harley Quinn whatsoever. <laughs> the Dreaming, Waking Hours, still going back to the well of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. I don't know how these books are still being published without Gaiman. 1997 was a long time ago. Yeah. Wait, is this the one by Colleen Duran, though? Is she doing the art, Colleen Duran? I think so, yes. Oh, well, I might be interested in that, then. I love Colleen Duran. Generally, I'm going to tell people to save your money on it, but we'll read it and review it next week. Strange Adventures uh, no longer exists. (laughs) Yes, the writer wrote himself into oblivion. Justice League number 50 from DC. Save you money. Yeah, wait until until Snyder pulls away from the DC universe, then see what they do with Justice League. I did want to mention, I I can't believe I'm going to be doing this, but probably. Alex Ross is doing these things called Timeless Variants for Marvel. I think there's 28 of them. There is one for Namer, so of course I'll be getting that one. But I may actually end up buying all of these variants because they are amazing. Uh, you but stay on your guard because I promise you they're going to have poster releases. Of the quandary I'm in is like, do I spend this enormous amount of money for these variants or do I just hold off and see if they come out in posters? When Alex Ross does covers for Marvel, they're very different from the covers he does for DC. DC. And I have loved, 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 loved those posters you had in your store of the dc justice league characters 
we're going to go ahead and wrap it up now. Uh, again, we appreciate you being patient with us these last couple of weeks as we did the Hoover Sci-Fi Fantasy Fest. Again, go to the website, Hoover Library, and check out their Sci-Fi Fantasy Fest streaming panels. They did a wonderful job with it. Let us continue to hear from you. We've heard from a few of you the past week. Kingdom Casts, that's Kingdom, C-A-S-T-S at gmail.com. Kingdom Comics at gmail.com. Both Kingdom Casts and Kingdom Comics on Facebook and Twitter. So follow us there. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know. We've, we've got a little bit of a new format going in this show, so let us know what you think about it. We have had many requests for us to kind of touch on the comics from next week, and that'll get refined and better as we go with it. Also, uh, thank you all again. We had wonderful ratings on the last podcast. Cannot thank you enough. Dear Lord, Sandra, you got anything to say? Whoever has my copy of Timely's Greatest <laughs> Submariners post-war Bill Everett, because I ordered it as soon as it came out, and my package is lost. Oh, my God. So whoever has my copy of my omnibus... I'm going to track you down. <laughs> Just send it to her. No questions asked. It's That's the right. Thing <laughs> Albert, have you got anything to say that I don't have to beat? <laughs> I have a headache. Oh, <laughs> you poor thing. Well, we've been at this for three hours currently, so <laughs> I don't time. Blame time flies. All right. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Be safe. We'll talk to you soon. Tell them good night, guys. Good night. Good night, everybody. Kingdom Casts is owned by Kingdom Comics Incorporated and produced by Stan Daniel and Albert Marsh. No part of this program may be reproduced, replicated, or replayed without permission. Special thanks to Sandra Swindle. Also, thanks to our content contributors, Jason Bean, Tim Bryant, Denise Daniel, Josh Duke, Alex Fitzpatrick, Charles Hickey, Allison Marceau, Mark Adam Miller, and Katrina Olstead. Logo designed by Geoffrey Glenn. Edited by Stan Daniel. Kingdom Casts is copyrighted 2020. All rights reserved. We've got to keep it real.